0: Is this really our fifth podcast? Wow,
1: that's kind of amazing.
0: Dude, that's great. So what should we do? What topic? What have we not touched on that we need to talk about?
2: Um, well, uh, we haven't done the NJSS. That'll be good. Yeah. That's, that's kind good. of important.
1: And we all went to the LRNG conferences. So I like went to the one in New York. I was in Chicago.
2: Yeah, and I was in San Francisco. But you know what I'd really love to hear about? What?
0: I want to know what you guys have been doing yeah what new digital learning initiatives have going on how are you supporting them we haven't chatted like that for a while let's do a show about that
1: okay done yeah what does
2: digital learning look like in a collections-based museum
1: find out now on object-oriented the podcast Welcome, Welcome.
0: <laughs> to the fifth podcast of Object Oriented. I'm Barry.
2: Po- the podcast.
0: No, I'm Barry, and I'm an Associate Director of Digital Learning at the American Museum of Natural History in New York, and this is the podcast about digital learning in museums. Yes. Yes. And, and who are you guys?
1: Uh, I'm Eve Gauss. I'm, I'm the digital. <laughs> yes, that is who I am. <laughs> Yes, I'm the digital learning manager at the
2: Field Museum in Chicago. And I'm Rick Payne, even I am the senior manager of digital learning at the California Academy of Sciences in foggy San Francisco. And we're a little punchy because
0: we just (laughs) let have fun with each other. Sorry. (laughs) Today we're just going to be talking about the latest and greatest that we have going on in our programs, Um, ask each other some questions, and invite you to listen in.
1: Um, so I'm, gosh, there's so much going on, um, we've got a new teen career night that we're doing at the museum, which is super exciting, um, that we're getting some really interesting, um, speakers in, and we have been experimenting with some more game design at the museum, nice. um, kind of doing card games, which is something that Ooh. we haven't done before, so that's kind of cool, um, but I think the thing I really want to talk to you guys about is a new digital learning internship that we're launching this summer at the museum. Nice. Yeah, so this internship is so interesting to me because we're really trying to pull together what I think of as the three main components of digital learning at the museum, which is the collections actually doing scientific work in our collections, it is using digital tools to think about how to communicate out um, out that scientific research, and then the last component is it's working in a public hall to engage the general public with that research. Do you know which hall yet? Yes. We have given ourselves a challenge for the summer. We are doing the um, Plants of the World Hall. Plants? Plants. Oh. Yes. Uh, It is uh, maybe the oldest hall in the entire museum. Um, and it's all wax plants that were created back, uh, the last one was created back in the 60s. What? Yeah, so it's super old. I mean, they're beautifully raw, right? Artistically, Mm -hmm. they're gorgeous, but it's a really dark hall. It's Mm kind of one of those halls that um, people don't really know what they're doing and if they wander into it they kind of quickly wander back out it's gotten a lot higher traffic rate because it now our brand new hall of china actually exits out into the hall of the plants of the world plants of the world hall um, and so anyway so it's this really interesting hall because it has absolutely nothing digital in it there's not a single interactive table there are no touch screens. there's nothing there's just cases of wax plants and that's it So this summer, we are bringing um, a very small cohort of upper high school teens, uh, so 16 through 18 year olds, and they're going, we're partnering with our botany department on this, and we're working really closely with them. It's a five-week long internship, and the interns are being paid, and that was really important to us Mm. because they, uh, so Field Museum, you have to be paid minimum wage. Yeah, so... um, doesn't matter what your age is, that's that's sort of a requirement of the museum, which I think is a really good statement of the museum for sure. how we value our people who work for us. Um, and we want to make it paid because we want to make it open. We want to make it open to any teen who wants to do it. We don't want to make it just for those who don't you know, have a socioeconomic status that doesn't require them to earn money over the summer. Um, so they're going to spend their mornings actually working upstairs in our collections with our botanists, with grad students and college students, Um, unpacking collections, entering them into the collections, and then digitizing them. So actually doing the real scientific work that our scientists do. And then in the afternoon, they're going to come down to the Granger Digital Media Studio, which is our location in the Field Museum, and they're going to start to think about how can they use, we're using Tailblazer, as a way to create... From MIT? From MIT, yeah. The Media Lab, right? Yep, exactly. To create a um, augmented reality experience where they layer the information that they're working on upstairs over the plant, the cases mm-hmm. in the plant hall.
0: So, like, I would go into that hall <coughs> with my uh, app an app just for this experience? Yep. And then I hold the phone up. Yep. And when I go to one of the plants, give me an example, what might a plant be there?
1: Um, so like ferns.
0: So I'd go to the fern, yep. And when I hold up the phone, do I see something? Do I hear something? Yeah,
1: so that's the idea is that the well That's, I mean, yes, that is the idea, but part of it is that we're really looking to the the youth to actually develop this experience. So what is it that's actually grabbing them about the research that they're doing upstairs that they really want people to know? So is it like, do they want to tell people about photosynthesis and how incredibly important that entire process is? And then maybe that's the story they're going to tell, or maybe they're going to talk about biodiversity of plants.
0: But have you decided in advance, what the possible mediums might be for communicating like is it a 3D object is it video is it text is it photos or is that part of what the process will be
1: that's going up? to be part of what the process is actually wow. going to be It's going. we really want this to be extraordinarily youth driven so we want to have like the platform that's going to be obviously figured out and the tail general laser, mm-hmm. laser okay. and sort of you know the general plants that they're going to be working with and sort of some key different storylines that they could potentially develop but where they go with it is actually going to be that okay
2: and I mean, it's really ambitious. I mean, it's a really, really cool idea. Um, I'm wondering how you're going to uh, recruit youth that are open to all those challenges? Because it sounds like there's a variety of things you're going to have to do, as well as a fairly truncated time to, to kind of produce something. Are you looking toward science-oriented mm-hmm. kids, or kids who have some like game design background, or um, a diversity, like a team approach?
1: So we're looking for a team approach. So that's the thing is the idea is that we're going to have some. We said that they could either um, submit a video, like a two-minute video about why they want to be in the program, Uh or they could do an essay. So we're already trying Mm -hmm. to be like, okay, depending on what mode you're most comfortable in. So we're hoping we're going to get some teens that are more artistically inclined, and that's really why they're there. And then some teens who are just going to totally geek out on the science, and that's why they're there. And together, they'll make this sort of very whole unit that will then be able to produce this project.
2: Nice. Uh, when's yeah. it going to do... Well, when would you ideally like it to do, debut for the public?
1: Well, so it's going to debut at the end of the internship, which is going to be uh, August 12th.
2: Nice. Wow. Yeah. pressure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's exciting. Yeah, that's great.
1: Thanks. Yeah, I'm happy to report out of it when I know more.
2: Cool. Barry, what you got going? Let's see.
0: Uh, <laughs> it been and a, a long of few months. Let's see. What do I mention now? Um, this season... Um, the game we developed with one of our scientists, Mandy Holford, about Killer Snails, um, ended a successful Kickstarter campaign. Um, they ran the campaign, that's Mandy and her team, uh, Killer Snails, Inc. Um, it's a wonderful deck building game, and it got funded at 250%. That's
1: amazing. Well, Very
0: exciting. So that wow. was, that was lovely. Um, our other game, our, our, our mobile game, Micro Rangers, um, uh, has been, uh, featured uh, in April at a, a, it's not called the Micro Rangers Day, but it was a day called um, Game On Micro Rangers Competition, where we invited families to come in and play all day and win prizes. And it was really an opportunity to kind of aggregate people playing the game so we can learn more, and we did, about who's playing the game and why, so we can really understand what it means to use games in the museum. Um, and we also released uh, Dreams of the Height of Child, the augmented coloring book that we made for our oldest Hall Eve. Um, yours is, is um, Wax Plants. Yes. Um, <laughs> ours is the Hall of Northwest Coast Indians, over 100 years old, uh, barely changed in the last uh, 80 or so years. Um, and we made this uh, with students, um, this coloring bu- book where each page focuses on one of the objects in the hall, has a story on the back to contextualize it. And with the mobile app you can uh, look at your child's art and a 3D version of the object appears with your child's art on it. Mm. Um, And it's been really exciting um, releasing that to the public. And people can download it. You can just go to um, AMNH space AR um, which is a new app we have for activities like that. And you can download the uh, PDF of the the guide at amnh.org slash Haida. H-A-I-D-A. But the thing that I Wanted to chat about is also for that hall mm-hmm. um, that we've been developing. And uh, keeping in mind, so when we're talking about this hall, we're talking about cultural education. We're talking about what does it mean for contemporary natural history museums to deal with our legacy of, of cultural halls, which largely focused on others, on indigenous populations, and um, has its own challenging political history, but at the same time, are these incredibly important remarkable collections mm-hmm. um, and so when visitors come into our hall we want them to understand some really basic things you know when, when people go into our dinosaur halls yeah they might go in and be thinking about Jurassic Park they might be thinking about you know another dinosaur movie but they do know something about dinosaurs and then they learn something new so I think of them being at like a kind of a, a one when they go in and they get to a knowledge point of two but when people go into our hall of Northwest Coast Indians they think they know something but it's mm-hmm. wrong so I say they go in as like a a negative one mm. but if we can just get them to zero that's good <laughs> but one will be better so what don't they know they come in and they see stuff that's connected to Native American peoples, and they think they're the ones in the United States, and well actually some of them are in that room, most of them are Western Canada. Mm -hmm. Um, They think these communities are dead, um, that they've been culturally extinct, they think that um, some people think they're from the time of the dinosaurs, which is some confusion there at a number of different levels, Um, so there's some very basic things that we want to teach folks, but there's almost no labels there, um, and there's no context for it, so one of the things we started thinking about for experimenting for this hall was how do we bring in contemporary. Um, relevance for people and connect them with real people um, mm. we can't bring people down we're, we're, on the, we're on the Atlantic Ocean this is a community from the Pacific Ocean and when I was at museums at the web last year um, I learned about telepresence robots mm. which I'd never heard about before but then when I researched it I realized oh it was in this TV show I saw in that TV show uh, and there's now one sitting right next to me in my office my little <laughs> office I have a little robot next to me I have, I have a new roommate and what we've been able to do with this robot um, is bring it into the hall and give uh, members of the communities on the Northwest Coast access to it at scheduled times, and they drive it around. Mm-hmm. So if you come to the museum at certain times, you'll walk through the hall. Maybe you're there to see the hall. Maybe you're heading to the IMAX theater or to the bathroom. But this, this bright screen on wheels rolls up to you and says, Hi, what's your name? And you yeah. say... I'm mean. Eve. And I go, hi, my name is so-and-so, uh, I'm here on Haida Gwaii on the Pacific Ocean. Where are you from? And you say, you're from Italy, or you're from Mexico, you're from yeah. Chicago. And suddenly, you're no longer amazed by this weird machine that just rolled up to you, you're connecting with somebody. Yeah. And so what they're able to do is essentially be um, virtual tours, we call it um, the video um, the the video bridge guides. Hmm. So these video bridge guides are essentially virtual guides who roll up to you, make a personal connection and then say, would you like to come with me, I'd like to show you some objects from my community. Hmm. Wow. And you're like, well, my movie's not for another half hour, okay. And then they go off and they leave the main corridor, or go off to his little co- um, alcove, and then say, oh, those masks look interesting, tell me about the masks, or okay. or um, that puffin sculpture, what's that about? And what we found from our statistics is that people are spending nice dwell time, as a result, during the experience. They understand that these people are alive, and of course they do! They're talking to somebody who's from the community. They understand that the um, objects from that hall are from these communities, mm-hmm. uh, and those we're getting them not only from a negative one to a zero, we're getting them to a one. But more importantly, we're using these digital tools to create this very surprising, unexpected, um, awesome. Uh, um, experience that, they'll be able to take home with them and remember. And anytime they come back to that museum, they come back to our museum or they come back to the hall, that telepresence robot might not be there, but they'll remember what they learned about when they were there. Wow!
1: How did you make the connection to the community to actually get those, Mm -hmm. those volunteers to be guiding those tours or experiences?
0: So, um, two years ago when we started thinking about how to re-engage the public with that hall, mm-hmm. we started thinking about which communities we were connected to and who might be partners who had the resources to connect with us. Mm-hmm. Haida Gwaii is an island um, just off of Canada, um, outside uh, British Columbia, just south of Alaska and there's about 4,000 people who live there and they have a Haida, Haida Heritage Center there mm. and they have a Haida Gwaii Museum there. And Haida have lived there for 10,000 years. There's there's evidence of that there. Um, so it's a long-time uh, uh, community there. And this museum is, is their space to mm. talk about their community. Mm. But to get to Haida Gwaii, you have to take a private boat. Oh, to wow. get to Ida Cry, yeah, yeah. you have to fly there. So for them to ha- get to connect mm. with a, a, a broader audience is interesting for them. And they've been so supportive to experiment with us and see what this could look like. And we actually play with having a telepresence robot there yeah. so people in our museum can drive around their museum. They can turn left yeah. and look at their totem poles, yeah. look forward and see their contemporary art, turn right and look out the window and see the beach and the Pacific Ocean on it. Oh, my gosh.
2: And, I mean, there's so many things that are uh, possible applications of telepresence robots. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've always seen them as, like, I ca- I have to stay home uh, most days of the week because I have an aging mm-hmm. parent that I'm take- caring for, but I don't want to quit my job. Oh, you're a so sick have, kid. I have a sick you're kid, concerned. or whatever. Yep. But I can go to work. I can take a meeting. I can take, and, and that's the context that I've seen, or yep. salespeople or whatever. Yep. They don't have to. They can just deploy other salespeople on the floor. Um, this is the first time I've heard about it as something that, like, uh, in a pub, semi-public space, lots of people would get a chance to interact with. What's the um, what's the time scale between them going, what the heck is that, to sort of putting that in the background and, and experiencing the. The, the cultural stuff that you want them to get to? Is it like a minute? is it like oh,
0: It's a great question. You know, our big concern was that people would be yeah. so distracted by, by yeah. a screen controlled over the internet on yeah. wheels that they would never get past that to deal yeah. with the content. But what we found is people get past it right away. Mm-hmm. We did so many evaluations with scores of people, maybe even hundreds, I could say, um, where we listened to everything they said. Mm-hmm. How many questions were about the robot? Like, how do you mm-hmm. control it? Yeah. How many were about the person? Mm-hmm. And how many about the culture? And the questions about... The robot, were were infinitesimally small. We were shocked at the low number of questions compared mm-hmm. to talk to me about the objects, talk to me about your community, or talk to me about who you are. So we find that the sexy factor of the robot is what attracts people mm-hmm. and gets their attention. Mm-hmm. But once they make that human connection, mm-hmm. the only questions they ask about the robot is because they care about the person. Like, mm-hmm. where are you controlling the robot? You know, mm-hmm. where, where are
2: you sitting? Um, and that's that's a win-win. Yeah. Hmm. That's great. Um in, in within your institution, how much of a, a, a process of buy-in did you have to do because I would imagine there would be all these mm-hmm. questions from your from your docents from your security from yeah, this is
0: potentially very disruptive technology yeah. but I, th- there, there's nothing there was never in the way for, for how do I say this? It didn't disrupt anything. The, the, the curator for the hall was so excited the first time he heard about it. The head of communications experienced it at the Museum of the Webs conference the same time I did. And she's like, this looks really interesting. Um, security guards love coming over and seeing what's going on, interacting with it. Mm-hmm. They, I was the guy with the robot for a few months and the guards would come up to me and say, when do we get to see the robot? <laughs> I heard you brought it into that elevator and I wanted to see it too, right? So people have been so opening and accepting of it. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's been great. So
2: so I've been going on a bit, so Rick, let's hear about
0: you, what, what have you been thinking about?
2: Uh, yeah, there's a lot going on. Um, it's been, at some degrees. it's been all games all the time mm-hmm. at our institution, which has been really exciting. Um, when I first started uh, a little more than four years ago at the Academy, like that was my first project, was developing an augmented reality game with middle schoolers and the, the local uh, uh, preserve, uh, nature preserve. Um, and uh, since then we've just kind of continued to ramp up our, our, our investment uh, in terms of person person time and youth that we're working with uh, thinking about science games, and uh, this has really been a year where we've kind of gone big in terms of game jams and bringing in youth to make games. Um, I have one uh, one group of kids. That's all they do is they come to the academy and they think about science games and they make science games. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're really our resident experts. So whenever we have questions, we like go to those kids and say like, Hey, does this game is this game fun? Or you know, our exhibits guys know like they can just call on me and bring in some kids to come play some games. So I'm really excited about that stuff. Can I ask you about that.
0: Sure. Uh, is it are they doing it in a program setting or you give them a space and they just come in and on their own they're designing games?
2: It's a program. It's a program setting where they come in and they have particular. Uh, challenges or or, uh, objectives they're trying to meet, where we're saying, oh, we have a new exhibit that's related to color of life. Uh, We want you to go down the exhibit and come up with three game ideas, and you're going to use this game platform to try and uh, develop uh, some games around it, and you have a month to do it. But I'm actually, uh, uh, the thing I'm most excited about right now is uh, later at the end of summer, early in the fall, we're going to be launching our first um, adult uh, or a professionally uh, uh, sponsored um, game um, that I'm not going to say right now, but it will be released very soon. Oh. But it's essentially an eco-literacy game where that is going to be web-based, and it's really geared toward teachers to use in the classroom when they're teaching particular units um, uh, related to either food systems or uh, uh, water systems or uh, different agricultural technologies. And, uh, but it's a very fun sort of two to three minute experience that any teacher can deploy to say, hey, let's all play this game um, where you get to be a farmer and you have to make these crop choices and uh, let's play level two, which is all about drought. And, and, or let's play level three, which is all about choosing different agricultural technologies and see how that affects your crop yields. Um, so there's a really lot of opportunities for teachers to use this. Um, we're in the pilot stage right now and then we're gonna go big in the fall with uh, a bigger launch. Um, so the game I'm excited about, but I'm also excited about how we got to it, which was it was the end of our. I don't. Do we talk about the? Uh, we were involved in the Climate Game Jam last year. Yeah, I don't think we yeah, talked about we it. don't did. Yeah. Yeah. So we were involved in the National Climate Game Jam, and we had a group of professional game developers. Five groups of professional game developers who came and just made prototypes uh, at the at the end of a weekend, and we liked all of them but one of them in particular thought was like this can really change the 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 um, impact of some of our educational modules so we worked with them I worked with them over the course of about six weeks to have them Take their game from the level it was at at the end of the jam to something that we can put in front of teachers, and now we're now we worked with them. We gave them some money to, to incentivize their work, and uh, now it's going to be out there. So oh, that's uh, great. That's wonderful. Really being able to like quickly prototype something, see the ones that we liked, and then put some money on the table so that people who already care about it can then bring their work to market. Um, uh, really exciting. Did you
0: ever have any? Did you have any outcomes like that when you did the game jam that something from it
2: might have led us to move forward? Was that an unexpected outcome? It was a hoped-for outcome. Mm-hmm. But yeah. we didn't. We, we also knew that it was possible that we'd get five just okay games. Yeah. Uh-huh. And can you say more about how you're planning to uh,
0: make educators and teachers aware of it as a resource? Do you have existing networks you're tapping into? Do you have yeah. something new?
2: Yeah, I mean, we have, uh, as you can imagine, we have a, a tremendous uh, in-reach into... Uh, particularly the Bay Area and Northern California, to, um, but also to um, teacher networks all over Calif- uh, all over the kind of Western seaboard. Um, and we have a whole set of, already we're kind of known for our kind of environmental eco-literacy modules. So this is just another option set that we're adding along with videos and lesson plans and activities. Here's a game you can play and it's associated with particular modules that we're releasing, but we're not saying you can only use that for that. You can use it for any number of other ones. And we're actually working with teachers right now who are giving us ideas about other uses for it that we hadn't anticipated. Uh, well, that's exciting. Can't wait to see it. comes out when? Uh, we're shooting for uh, August. That's great. So yeah. you, guys, you, you guys are both have a in busy August. Busy summertime, yeah,
1: yeah. That's great. Well, good ah. luck,
2: guys. Thank, Thank you. you. Hi. Rick here from the object-oriented team. I have some news to share that is a little sad, but also exciting. As of this summer, I'm transitioning from my role with digital learning at the Cal Academy to take on a new opportunity with the Academy's middle school program, the Science Action Club. It's very exciting, but it does mean that I'll have to discontinue other projects, including participating in this podcast. As a result of this, Eve, Barry, and I have decided to cease production of Object Oriented. We've had a blast putting together these episodes and appreciate so much the encouragement and support we've received from our listeners over the past year. In particular, we want to thank Elizabeth Merritt for her awesome contributions to our show, and definitely encourage you to subscribe to Dispatches from the Future of Museums. Of course, Barry and Eve and I will continue to share our work, insights, and news on our respective sites, Mushmi.org, digitalfieldnotes.com, and rangerrick.com. Please keep following us there and let's keep the conversation going about digital learning in collections based museums. What does digital learning look like
1: in a collections based museum? Find out now on Object Oriented, the podcast.